Dan's going to come and uh, speak to us in a few minutes, um, but let's just open up the Bible to read the passage that he's going to talk about. Uh, page 1218 in your church Bibles, if you haven't, which is 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 12. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 12. That you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Shall we pray for you, Dan, before you speak to us? Thank you, Father, for Dan. Thank you for his heart to see your word taught and to see uh, your scriptures understood. We pray this evening as he opens up your glorious word that you would put your voice inside him, that we might hear you speaking straight into our hearts, Father. Challenge us this evening. Grow us. Stretch us. Teach us more about you. Amen. Brilliant. If you want to keep your Bibles open in front of you as we explore this passage together. I wonder if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You might have heard that question before. I remember hearing that question. And the evidence it was talking about wasn't so much how many Bibles that we would find at our houses, not how many times that we had rocked up to church on a Sunday. The evidence was in the way that we were living our lives day by day. If we were to ask our previous work colleagues, our friends from school, uh, did, that they, did they know that we were Christians? Would that prompt them to be surprised that that was true or surprised that they even had to ask? You see, we know that Peter, he's writing this letter to Christians who were facing a tough time for following Jesus. Peter, later on in his letter, writes in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory rests on you. And you can totally imagine what a tempting option it would be for those Christians just to blend in like everyone else. To shrink back. To ride out the storm just doing what everyone else is doing. To cover their their identity at all costs as someone who follows Jesus. And you know, Peter in tonight's passage says to them and says to us... That our identity is to inform our actions. Or, that is, who we are determines how we live. Who we are determines how we live. And that's what we're going to be exploring together this evening as we look at our passage. And and our passage is split into two sections. And our first one is, our identity leads us to declaring. That's from verses 9 to 10. See, both of these sections start by showing us our identity. 
And then it goes on to say how therefore we are to live. So Peter in verse 9 shows us who we are. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I don't know whether, you know, when you heard those names being read out, and if you didn't know that these words were describing the church, I think you'd be pretty blown away by the people it seems to be describing. I mean, these people must be the most precious people in the universe. They're chosen people, royal people, holy, set-apart people. They are God's special possession. And yet Peter says, that is exactly who you are. That is who we are this evening as followers of Jesus. It is the most incredible, most gracious privilege that we have received from following Jesus. This is what Christians look like in the sight of God. Isn't it remarkable? But you know, this is so incredible that actually it points more to the one that has made this possible rather than to the ones being described because No one receives this identity either by their own efforts or receives it apart from knowing and following Christ. And and that's why it ends up being his glory and not ours. It's the reason that Peter says in the second half of verse 9, he says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says, you haven't received this identity to marvel at ourselves, but rather to marvel and praise our God. That you may declare the praises of him. You know, before the service started, you might have seen a a video of someone playing the piano. Uh, He was called Peter Bentz. He was playing a cover version of Africa by Toto, a great tune. And it's been viewed, this video, nearly 7 million times on YouTube. And, and when I was shown this video, it blew my mind how someone could play piano like that. And I began to play this video over and over again. I couldn't get over how incredible it was him playing this piano. And so for the next two weeks, everyone that I was having a conversation with, I was pointing them and showing them this guy, Peter Bentz. You've got to see this guy, You'll be amazed how well this guy plays the piano. I wanted to show people how incredible he was, how talented he was. But you know, when, when Phil was preaching this same passage at the beginning of January, this is our, our verse for the year, that's why it looks familiar. Do you know, he said, we declare what we love. And you know, that is so true, isn't it? We declare what we love, whether it be a Peter Bentz video, a bargain at the shops that we've got, a holiday that we've just been on. We all become proclaimers of the things that we love. And it feels so natural to talk about what we love, to talk about our football team, to talk about the music event that we've been to. And yet it feels so unnatural And it feels so uncomfortable to speak about the one that we are meant to love the most. And you know, remember, Peter, he's writing to Christians tempted to shrink back. 
tempted not to speak out, tempted not to be different for following Jesus. And so he tells them their identity as those that God has transformed, as those that God loves and those that God has forgiven, those that God has adopted into his family. And he said that is to lead us to declare what he has done for us. And notice it says to declare the praises of him. You know, I was speaking to a friend this week and he was telling me the story of a conversation that he had with someone that he was taking to the airport. And, and on the way to the airport, the conversation managed to get onto uh, Jesus. And my friend, he just started talking about how amazing this Jesus that he knew was. Just how amazing this Jesus is. And do you know, when he got to the airport, this guy that he was taking, he turned around and said to him, do you know, I've never heard anyone talk about Jesus the way you have. It wasn't a a detailed explanation of the cross. It wasn't heavy theology. It was simply praising the one that he loved, King Jesus. And simply by doing that, it showed Jesus to be so different from the one that people think they know. And that's what Peter's saying here. Let your life be one that declares the praises of King Jesus. But Peter knows that, well, in order to declare the praises of someone, you have to know what to praise them for. And that's what Peter says in the last few verses of our first section. He gives us the reason. He says in verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those two phrases might sound familiar. uh, And that's because Peter, he's pointing us back to an Old Testament prophet called Hosea. And Hosea was living during a time where the people were so unfaithful to God. They were worshipping and praising and, and chasing after other gods and other things. But you know, in the midst of that situation, God tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute called Gomer. And it was meant to be a very vivid picture, a very vivid picture to the people of what their relationship to God was like. And you know, it's also a very vivid picture of what our relationship with God is like. We have a God that longs to be in relationship with us and yet we're constantly unfaithful to him. We love other things so much more than him. It's a picture of our sinfulness, our unfaithfulness, our rebellion. But do you know what's more striking in this book of Hosea? Is that having shown the people's unfaithfulness to God... God shows his faithfulness to his people. And in Hosea 2, verses 23, God says, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. 
God's plan is he shows and he demonstrates his love to an unfaithful, rebellious people is that there is going to be a day when they turn from unfaithfulness and enter into relationship with him. When they say, you are my God. And you know, we know that God has fulfilled that promise to us in Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus suffered for our rebellion, our unfaithfulness. He's removed it from us forever so that we could know that living relationship with him. And Peter in verse 10 says this is what God has done for us. This is what God has done for us, unworthy, unfaithful people. He's shown his love and his mercy to us this evening. That we can be called his people. Holy, royal, God's special possession. Everything we don't deserve. Yet God says because of what he's done in the person Jesus, that is who we are. Do you know, this is news to fill our hearts with joy. This is news to be lost in wonder at. Lost in adoration to this God that has done this for us. And so, Peter says, our identity, what God has done for us, who he has made us, leads us to declaring. Declaring his praise for all that he has done. Do you know, I wonder whether tomorrow... When you meet up with your friends at school and you begin chatting about what you did over the weekend and they say, well, what did you get up to up to over the weekend? Whether you take that opportunity to declare his praise and you say, you know, I went to church yesterday and we sung and we heard about a God who loved me and gave everything for me so that I could be a part of his family, so that I could be in his kingdom forever. Our identity leads us to declaring. That's what Peter says. But secondly, it says our identity leads us to holiness. And that's from verses 11 to 12. And again, we see in this section that Peter shows us who we are and then therefore how we should live. So verse 11 with me it says Peter says dear friends I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul Peter describes these Christians as foreigners as exiles it's a term that Peter uses to say that as Christians we're not home yet we're not home yet As Peter says at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You have an eternal home. You have an eternal inheritance to look forward to, Peter says. And because your home is not here, but in heaven, Peter says, abstain from sinful desires that you find here, that you find as living as foreigners and exiles. 
Now, I don't know whether any of you have given anything up for Lent um, this time. I don't normally do anything, but someone suggested giving up all bad sugars. What a disaster. And and, uh, I thought, you know what, that seems like a pretty good thing to do. Cut out all the bad sugars. That can't be a bad thing to do, isn't it? do you know, I thought that that would be a ba- you know, good thing for me to do. But, you know, the difficulty is that, as you probably might know, if you do anything involved with a church, it often has attached to it some form of cake or sugary substance. And it becomes so hard to give up all of this bad sugar. You know, this week, you know, Christianity Explored, wonderful people had spent wonderful hours of their time making homemade cookies and cakes and there's me just going oh well have something from the salad bowl uh, you know and then on Wednesday at small group someone makes a lovely cake guess who can't have any yep great and then guess who it's Phil's birthday on Friday guess who brings in two boxes of pastries for the office guess who can't have any I mean it was just crazy and tonight we're not I was writing that we're not sitting around cakes but normally we are sitting around cakes And you see, temptation was all around for me this week. It's been a hard week having to abstain from sugar. And do you know, you don't have to live long as a Christian to kind of get that, to kind of know what Peter is saying here. The sinful desires that wage war against your soul. The Christian life is one where every day we are fighting sin and temptation, except this isn't sugar This isn't sugar where it's innocent and it's a harmless treat on occasions. This is something so much more serious. Peter says in chapter 5, verse 8 of his letter, he says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you know, the sinful desires that wage war in our souls may look very different for each of us this evening whether it's the desire of lust to fill our minds, looking at inappropriate, unhelpful videos and pictures, whether it's the desire of greed and just wanting more and more of what this world has to offer, whether it's the desire for popularity and acceptance that that leads to denying Jesus, that leads to not following him, And not honouring him. There are so many desires that we have in this world. So many desires that the devil just puts in front of our faces every single day. But you know, someone once said to me about sin. He said, it's sugar-coated poison. It looks delicious. But it's lethal. And it will kill you. And you know, Peter urges us as citizens of a holy nation, serving a holy king, to therefore pursue holy living, removing ourselves from every sinful desire. And you know, the call for Christians doesn't end there. Verse 12 goes on to say, live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Do you know, we asked ourselves the question at the start, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, do you know, Peter says that there ought to be. 
Peter says there ought to be, to live such good lives that it may even end up with people repenting, by people turning to glorify God in the way that Christians live, in the way that they've seen Christians live. And you know, when it says on the day that he visits us, that's not necessarily speaking about final judgment. It can be a term used to describe the time in which God chooses to work in the hearts of individuals. And so, do you know, the question really is for us, do our lives prove to people the authenticity of the gospel? Or does it expose it as hypocrisy? You know, I know so often of our moments of weakness, we can succumb, we, we fall. We so often feel like hypocrites. I know I do. I'm sure we've all had conversations. Unfortunately, I've had so many conversations speaking to people about the gospel, ending up hearing that the reason they don't believe is because of what they saw in the lives of their Christian friends and family. And you know, whilst people should be judging the merits of the gospel on Christ himself, what we see today and what we heard last week is that our identity as his priests, our, his representatives here on earth, we represent Christ. We represent his kingdom. And if as his representatives we represent Christ in a poor way, then what impression are people going to get? of the king that we came to, who came to follow. I wonder at school what impression your friends would have of Jesus based on what you say and you do. Because the temptation really is, is that we want to look no different from anyone else. When Peter tells us that our identity in Christ is different, it is meant to be different, And it is meant to show others how amazing Jesus is so that they too would receive this incredible gift from him. And you know, these aren't good works that somehow merit our entry into heaven if we're thinking that. But rather as we're seeing who we are determines how we live. And so because Jesus has made us holy through the cross, we are to therefore pursue holy living. Pursue obedient lives in worship to King Jesus and in witness to this world. Do you know the story goes, I don't know how true it is, but the story goes of the famous actor Robert Redford. And he was walking through a hotel lobby. And a woman sees him and follows him to uh, the elevator where he was going up. And as he's going into the elevator, this woman catches him and says to him, Are you the real Robert Redford? And as the doors are closing, he says to her, only when I'm alone. And do you know this evening, Peter shows us our wonderful identity, a holy nation, God's special possession, foreigners in this world with an internal home waiting for us. And he says we're not to live this identity in the shadows, We're not only to bring it out on Sundays and then put it away during the rest of the week. Because who we are determines how we live. And tonight, Peter has shown us that we are to live declaring the praises of our great King. 
We're to live by the Spirit's power, not caving in to sinful desires that want us to stumble, but to pursue living in such a way, such a way that, that models Christ to the people around us that we pray will lead them to knowing and trusting and praising him themselves. Who we are determines how we live.